Thanks, guys. We're going to... Au- All right, we're going to awkwardly stand up here while they put the stuff in place. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hello. I'm going to move this forward so we can be closer to you. Oh, I'm going to move this. Thanks. Thanks, Sam. Because we like being near you. So, I'm Olivia Klingbeal. This is Kevin Klingbeal. Kevin is on staff here at Westwood. He's the pastor of Next Steps. Um, I am not on staff here. Um, I have been going to Westwood, though, for 26 years. Um, so that's pretty cool, my whole life. Um, I am an admissions counselor for a university in Phoenix called Grand Canyon University. Lopes up. Cool. Um, so today we're going to talk about marriage. Oh, we also have a seven-month-old baby. I can't miss him. He's in the back. His name's Titan. So turn and wave to Titan. He's that really cute baby, cutest baby in the world. No denying it. Hi, buddy. We see you. All right, so we got married almost five years ago, and like many newlyweds, we went on a honeymoon. We had high expectations of what we wanted our honeymoon to look like. We um, wanted fun in the sun, um, endless tableside guacamole, shrimp tacos, reading lots of books, but most importantly, quality time together. So we booked this swanky hotel in um, Mexico, and we went down there, and our expectations were quickly shattered when we realized that our resort was under construction. Um, There was constant jackhammering right over our room, Um, so it sounded like there was literally someone doing construction in our room tearing up the floors. Um, We decided to make the most of it, though, and went to the pool, and the pool was, again, awful. Um, The music was blaring. Um, We couldn't even talk to each other because the music was so loud. Um, That night we went to dinner and excited for endless tableside guacamole and shrimp tacos. Um, Our, again, expectations were gone when we realized that all they had to eat were um, personal pizzas and really stale hamburgers. So that night, we went to bed, eager for the next morning to, to start it all over again. We woke up, and I went to the pool, and I read my book alone, because Kevin was hovering over the toilet, vomit, violently throwing up. Food poisoning. Food poisoning. Okay. So to say that our expectations were not met would be an understatement. And I think we're talking about marriage tonight. And I think if you have a desire to get married uh, someday, um, we have a lot of expectations and ideas of what marriage is and what it looks like. And today's society has a lot of expectations for us about finding that person and marrying them. Dating sites have 34 different categories. compatibility characteristics that they define as this is going to create your perfect match. So we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to find the one, to find that person that we are meant to spend our whole lives with. We want to find somebody who's funny, but not too funny. We want to find somebody who's compassionate, but not overly sensitive. We want to find somebody who's loving, but not smothering. Want him to love his mom, but not more than he loves you. Um, and we obsess about all these little things. We have to find the one. And some people believe that there's one person in the whole world that's meant for them, their soulmate. And they have to, they spend their whole lives finding this person. We're taught that our life mission is to find this person, this soulmate, and marry them. 
And we have a hard time committing because the reality is, in our mind, if we're looking for the perfect person, we have this, this inability to commit because we're afraid that what if somebody better comes along? What if somebody with more compatibility, what if somebody with better uh, characteristics come along? And we've been taught that our whole life is to, life is to find this person that meets our needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs. Marriage is about getting us what we need. And once that person stops meeting our needs, then we leave, we walk out. And I know in this room, there are probably several people whose lives have been affected by divorce. And a lot of times, there's some legitimate reasons why people get divorced. But a lot of times, as a pastor, what I hear is that people simply fell out of love with one another. And I think if we were to really dig down deep into the roots of that, I think what we would discover is that what ended up happening was that their needs and expectations simply stopped being met. And so what happens when our needs aren't met? And a lot of times we think that marriage is all about our needs being met. And the truth is, tonight, what I want you to know is that marriage isn't for you. And if it's not for you, then what is it for? What was it created for? As you would expect, the Bible has a lot to say about marriage. Um, so tonight we're going to unpack Ephesians 5, 22 through 29. So my girlfriend, Paige, would come up here, please. She's going to be reading it for us. Yeah, Paige, yeah. Oh, you want my, oh, you have your own. Oh, cute. I love it. Okay. This is what it says. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which is the Savior. Now as the, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Say thank you to her. Yeah, Paige. All right, so marriage isn't for you to have someone for you to cuddle with, someone for you to complete the empty parts of you, someone to fix the broken microwave, someone to do all the grocery shopping, um, to have someone to talk to. It's not for you, okay? God is telling us pretty clearly in Ephesians 5 that marriage is about more about meeting the needs of someone else rather than your own. But even more importantly than that, it's about reflecting the gospel to the, the world around you. Now, when reading this passage, people tend to get a little zesty, um, just because of the word submit, right? That the word submit, no one ever wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I want to do today? Submit. Like, that sounds fun. Uh, no one ever want, wakes up in the morning with that word in mind. And uh, before we get all zesty about this word, I want you guys to point out that, or I want to point out to you guys that the there's three verses on what women need to do in a marriage, and there's nine verses on what men need to do, okay? Just put that into perspective for you. 
So um, I'm going to start with what the word submit does not mean. What submit does not mean is to be abused by domineering men. It does not mean that the woman cannot initiate. It doesn't mean that she can't be present, provide feedback, or needs to stay silent. I'm going to read you guys how the message interprets this verse. Hi, Titan. I hear you. It says, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Okay, I'm going to read that again. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your love for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So as the church submits to Christ, as he exercised such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. So what submission is, is it's a posture to receive and affirm a husband's leadership. What submission does not do, or um, what submission does is it really gives the husband more responsibility. So when men take on the role of husbands, you guys and Kevin take on on, um, the responsibility to make sure that the wife and the family flourish. So when Kevin took on the role as my husband, he made sure, he makes sure that I flourish. Okay. So men, speaking to you, there's a vulnerability when it comes to leading. It can be scary. If you ask a group of people to follow you and no one follows you, it's like a slap to your pride. It kind of hurts a little bit. It can be a little awkward. Um, So it can be a little embarrassing. Leading doesn't mean that if Kevin tells me that we should go do crime, which he frequently does on a Friday night, I ask him what we should do, and he says crime. Rob Rob a bank. So if Kevin tells me, I'm not kidding. He actually does that all the time. What do you want to do tonight? Crime. Rob a bank. You're never specific, though, with the no, crimes you want to do. it's general crime. It's crime. <laughs> All right. Um, so that doesn't mean that I have to follow him into that sin. So we're not going to go rob a bank together because that's what Kevin wants to do. I'm not going to lead him. I'm not going to follow him into, into sin. Okay? But men, men need to submit as well. But they're submitting to the Heavenly Father. Ladies, you want to be marrying a guy who's taking his cues and pursuing the king, so that you can have confidence in where your cues are coming from. Okay. Recently, Kevin and I had an argument, and, oh. It does. We, we argue. Yeah. A lot. I thought you were going to chime in and say something else. No. And I, no, you don't need to. Submission. <laughs> I'm going to submit. Uh, so we are having an argument, and I was having a bad attitude. Um, I've had an attitude for a little bit of, like, a couple months now. Um, and I have had um, a poor tone issue as well for the last 26 years of my life. It's been something that I've been really working on, specifically since we've been married, um, as request for my husband. And um, during this argument, he's asking me what I've been doing to try and fix my tone issues. And I gave him this laundry list of things I was doing, not talking, not saying what I was thinking, all these things to try and fix my tone issues, trying to get better. Um, Kevin told me that what I asked him if he had any suggestions of what I should be doing, and he said, you need to be in the word. And I said, you're not wrong. So that next morning, I got up, and I spent time in the word, about a half an hour in the word, and I can tell you confidently that the last couple of weeks of me doing that, my tone and attitude have completely changed. Guys, don't think you're off the hook because you're not. And uh, like Olivia said, a lot of times um, we read the beginning of that passage and we disengage. But there's a long list of things that as men, um, God invites us into. And um, honestly, I think that there needs to be a shift, a change 
in how our society sees men. And I'm not saying we all need to drive trucks and wear boots and do all kinds of manly stuff and hunt and fish. That's he not, really wants a truck. I do want a truck. But that's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying. Um, if you watch television or you watch a movie or you watch um, or you listen to the radio, whatever it is that you do, um, society defines men in one of two ways. The w one of them is the domineering man. He's, it's the misogynist. It's the guy who's overbearing, who gets all the girls, who has a tendency to speak louder than everybody to kind of fill up a room. The second is the idiot. It's the guy who can never get anything right, who's always making mistakes, who's um, the, the, the source of the cause of everyone's jokes. He can't lead. He can't do anything. And, and when I read this passage, I think part of the reason why when women see the word submit, they have such a hard time is because a lot of times this is how we're viewed. Men, we are viewed as the village idiot or the misogynist. And I think God's view for us is something so much different. What God is calling us as men into is something so much different. And so in marriage, our job, men, is to love. And love means so much more than being affectionate or being kind. When God defines love in Ephesians, what he is talking about is laying down our lives. When we look at um, to give ourselves up is what scripture says. Um, you don't do this to make yourself happy. You don't do this to meet your own needs, but you do this to help your wife and your family flourish. Your goal as a husband is to help your family win in every aspect of your life. And your wife is a part of that. Your wife is with you in that. And I think it's extremely challenging for us to do this because, like I said earlier, we're taught at a very early age that our lives are about us. Hi, baby. We get it. You're tired. Um, our life is about our pleasure. It's about us finding our inner self, us discovering our passion, us discovering our purpose. And I think even as we begin to get into this relationship idea, um, we begin to think that, well, if somebody else gets in the way of me pursuing my dreams, then they're not meant for me. And that may be true for you in a dating sense, but at some point when you get married, your dreams become our dreams. And there is a part of you that has to sacrifice for your wife, sacrifice for the person that you're with. And this really reflects the love of Jesus. When I think about Jesus, Jesus didn't come, I mean, he came to die, but I don't think he wanted to die. We see that in his prayers. I think he, he didn't want to be beaten. He didn't want to be humiliated. He didn't want any of that. But he did it because he knew it was what needed to be done. When I get home from work um, each day, I'm usually pretty tired. Um, we work hard here, and, uh, and it, it's, it's draining. I talk to a lot of people. I give my heart in everything that I do here. And I get home, and I'm tired. But we have a phrase in our home. Um, when I walk in the door, it's called second shift. 
I, my role as a husband and a dad is to get on the floor and play with my kid, to hug my wife, to show her affection, to show her love. It's so much easier for me to walk in the door, turn on the PlayStation, play some Call of Duty, turn on SportsCenter, disengage, because that's where my mind, my body, and my heart wants to go. But I know that my role as a husband is to kick in second shift and be the man that God is calling me to be. Um, And frankly, I believe that as men in this room, we can start this today. You can find a way to serve people around you. You can commit to learning what it means to be selfless. You can surround yourself with people who are going to challenge and encourage you to live a life like Jesus. You can begin this in your life right now. You can begin to view your life as something you will someday give away to someone else, your spouse, all of your life, your spiritual, emotional, and physical life. And I think it's important. I don't want to miss this moment because this is a great segue to talk about sex. I think, honestly, it's a big part of this conversation because we talked about meeting expectations and fulfilling our needs. And a lot of times our whole life is centered, is focused on sex. It's become something that our society worships, that we view as like the most important thing in our lives. Think about it. What's the pervasive narrative in the world today, right? So you, as you sit where you are, you need to get good grades and be a good athlete so that you can go to college and get a good degree. And you need to get that good degree so that you can get that job. And when you get that job, you'll make that money. And if you make that money, you can buy the car or buy the house, whatever it is, so that you can attract the partner, the smoking hot partner, so that you can get married and just have a bunch of sex. That's the vision, right? Like, that's what we think is the ultimate goal. And our whole lives are centered around this. The clothes that we wear, the things that we buy, it really is to attract other people to us. And what I want you to hear me say is, we're told our whole lives that sex will fulfill us. And friends, I'm here to tell you that it's not going to fulfill you. It, it will not, because that's not what God designed sex for. God designed sex to be shared between two people, a husband and a wife, who are committed to an Ephesians 5 relationship. A marriage built on love and respect. Because inside the security and protection of a marriage, sex becomes so much more than a physical action that you get pleasure from. Outside of that security and protection marriage of, of marriage, it may provide you with a moment of pleasure, but it will never, ever leave you feeling whole and satisfied. And what actually begins to happen when we engage in sex outside of marriage, is that we make a trade. We trade sex today for connectedness, connectedness with our spouse in the future. And, and I can say, as a person who made that trade, it's not worth it. Not one bit. It's affected our marriage, and I wish I could go back and change it, but I can't. 
And so my encouragement to you is that you would say, I'm going to begin to live this type of life. So the Ephesians 5's life, men, and commit now to laying down your life for somebody else. You're really good at this. When we get this right, when women support and respect their husbands, and when husbands lay down their lives for their wives, what happens? God gets glorified. Marriage is meant to be a reflection of the gospel. The gospel points to God and says, you are the source of all good things. God gives us an opportunity in marriage to give him all the credit and to make life with him look so much better when we choose to align in his way. So likely you're sitting here and you're like, cool guys, you guys are married, you've been married for five years, I'm 17 and I'm not going to be getting married for a quick minute. I would tell you um, that without a vision, it's hard to achieve a goal. It's important for you even now to begin to guard yourself against being convinced that this life is anything else than making God look good. So how can you do that today? First, we are encouraging you to pray. Pray for your future spouse. Pray for their faith. Pray that they would love Jesus. Guys, pray that your woman that you marry would learn what good leadership looks like so that she can spur you on to lead well. Gals, pray that the guy that you marry will learn what sacrifice looks like so that he can reflect the love of Jesus in your family. Second, as, Ke <laughs> as Kevin would say, I changed it my own, I have my own words for it, but Kevin would say, don't be dumb. I would say, be intentional, okay? Whether you like it or not, the decisions that you make now will impact your future. Start to fight for who you want to become in Christ. Be intentional to create a vision for yourself and work backwards. Do what um, you need to do now to have a, the marriage that you want in the future. Be intentional in who you choose to date now and how you choose to date. Ladies, don't just date a guy because he's cute and pays attention to you. And guys, don't just date a girl because she snaps you back. Okay? I'm not on Snapchat. Last, chase after Jesus. Uh, Matt talked a lot about this last week, but actively choose to do what you need to actively choose um, and do what you need to do to pursue Jesus. Now through your singleness until the day you say you do. Yeah, and our hope for you is um, that you would begin to see this picture of who God wants you to become and what his hopes for your future are. And like Livia said, work backwards. Begin to say, like, what do I need to do today in order to achieve all of what God wants for me in the future. Because like I said before, what, what begins to happen is we make a trade. We say, I'm going to trade today for my future. And our hope and your leader's hope and your pastor's hope is that you wouldn't make that trade because I can guarantee you it's not worth it. We're so excited. We're, we're so grateful that we get to be a part of you. I'm going to pray. And then after I get done, you guys get to go to small groups. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, we thank you that um, even though we don't get this right, even though we have a tendency to be selfish and focus on our desires, God, you give us second chances, third chances, fourth chances. God, we're grateful that you're with us in every circumstance. And God, I pray that as these high school students sit in their seats right now, that you would begin to prompt them and lead them to see a vision for what you have for them. That, that 
they would just know who you are helping them to become, and they would take the step they need to take today to become that. God, we're so grateful that we get to be in your presence, that we get to come together, sing some songs, and learn about you. God, we love you, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.